This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. So how is everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Y'all ready to get moving? We're starting a new series today, and it's really about traveling I don't know about you guys, but I am not what you would call a light packer at all. I have have certain rules that I learned as a kid that I've begun to apply in my in my life as a packer and traveler as I grew older. One is that every day that you're gone, all right, so you take a five-day trip, you need to have one and a half times the days that you're going to be gone outfits, all right? So if I'm gone five days, that means at least seven outfits while I'm gone. And the underwear rule is is twice as many days, right, because nobody want to get somewhere and be caught without clean underwear, right? So as a, as a family, we've always kind of packed a little heavy. And what's interesting is my parents, when I was a little kid, my parents, my mom and dad are here, they bought uh, this little Datsun station wagon. Now, when you drop the name station wagon, everybody thinks like that big station wagon that had the bench seats and had the seat in the back, right, where you would pile the luggage in between and the kids that sat in the bench in the back facing out they had a completely separate vacation than everybody that was in the front part right because they were looking back and there's that's awkward um but my parents it's kind of like compare like a rottweiler to a chihuahua that's really what a Datsun station wagon is it was the chihuahua of station wagons it had, I think it had a bicycle motor in it because that thing did not go fast at all. And I remember, like, our family would, would travel. We lived in South Carolina, but my, my parents very early in my life uh, made the decision that we wanted to be in Stanley County as much as we could. And so we would travel frequently up here. And there's this one section on Highway 52 in between Darlington and Norwood that is quite hilly. And I can remember my mom and dad getting in arguments because my mom would be driving and she wouldn't gas, like nail the gas at the bottom of the hill enough. So by the time we got to the top of that hill, it was just like, like Fred Flintstone outside running because that thing was just crawling. Because we were just loaded. There's sometimes we're in that, in that car, we had so much luggage, you didn't know where people were and luggage was, right? You just didn't know. Because there's so much luggage, so much baggage. In this series, we're just going to spend some time looking at the baggage that we carry in life. Because I don't know if you've noticed, if you travel, I, I travel some. And if you've been to the airport recently, you probably noticed that the, the trend in air travel now is to not check your bag, right? We don't want to check any luggage because actually most airlines now are charging fees if you check a bag. And so I can get around that if I will just carry my luggage on to the plane. The last time I was on a plane, I remember watching the lady take a, a bag that was about three times bigger than the overhead bin. <laughs> 
and she was working that bag. I mean, just trying to get it in that overhead bin. You know what I'm saying? Because they've gotten smart about that stuff. They just kind of let you try it. And then they're like, I'm sorry, we're going to have to check that for you. Walk that out. <laughs> right? And I, I was thinking about that. And, and, and that, that is a phenomenal spiritual truth about where we live in life today. That instead of working in our lives to check the baggage that we have, we have instead chose to carry it on with us. And God invites us through Jesus into a life that is free. It's not weighed down by baggage. It's not weighed down by the things of the past. And so I think the first thing to think about for us this morning is really where does baggage come from? Where in our lives does baggage begin to originate? That there's probably stuff, some hurts, some habits, some hang-ups in our, in our past where there was something that happened and it has carried on with us. So just as a way of getting us started and focused on the right thing, let me ask you a question and I, I want you to think about this. What am I carrying that shouldn't be a part of the journey? What am I carrying right now? What are you carrying that should not be a part of the journey? And wives, I ain't talking about your husbands. All right, he's supposed to go with you wherever you go in, right? I'm not doing that. What are we carrying that's not supposed to be a part of the journey? So as we get ready, I want to Instead of avoiding the baggage claim process. Y'all ever think about that woman that works in the baggage claim office? I love comedian Brian Regan says, that's got to be the worst job in the whole wide world. Because every person that walks through your door is absolutely thoroughly mad. <laughs> right? It's like, let's form two lines. One over here for really angry and one over here for livid. Right? <laughs> That's got to be a difficult job every day. Yeah, people are going to be mad at me all day when I go to work this week. All right, no. Um, but, but let's, instead of trying to carry on, let's actually go through the process of claiming our baggage because that's what we're trying to avoid when we carry the baggage on. I don't want to have to go through baggage claim. I don't want to check my baggage. I want to carry it on. So as we get ready to start, let's work to perhaps claim our baggage. And look at um, five things that we've identified that could possibly be baggage in your life. The first one in your notes today is unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. And I'm just going to be very honest as your pastor that starting with my baggage, okay? Um, this is if we were going to say something out of the five that we're going to list, this is one of those things that I would say in my life that I've walked through with this uh, several, several times. And, and I can look back and even 
in, in processing things that are going on with me right now. This is one of those things that I can identify with. You see, because disappointment is going to be a part of life, right? And if you've ever been a person that struggled with anger or been angry or any of that, then, then disappointment and unfulfilled expectation is normally at the beginning of anger. Let's look at this verse out of Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Hope deferred, that, that there are things that we are hoping for, but they haven't come, and I continue to hope for it, but it, that hope, that action of putting a hope into something that is not going to happen and or come, that results in a sickness in my heart. And the truth is, is that for many of us, we really have the wrong expectations. We're living with the wrong set of expectations. You might want to call it the American gospel. You might want to call it the gospel of 2012. Uh, whatever you want to call it. But it is not the gospel of Jesus. The, the gospel and the thought that God is going to make your life heaven on earth. That if I choose Jesus, that somehow heaven is going to erupt in my life. That he's going to bring heaven down. And as I go through, life is going to get better and better and better. But somehow, Jesus tells us that in this world we're going to have trouble. That it's going to be a part. That God didn't even spare his own son from that. The gospel is the fact that even in the midst of that, we can have hope, reconciliation, or redemption through Jesus, right? That's what the gospel is. And so when we live with the wrong set of expectations, there's always going to be a tension in unfulfilled expectations. It would have been a lot easier if our first grade teachers would have been honest with us, wouldn't it? It would have been. If they would have told you, there's six billion people in this world, you are not entirely unique. <laughs> it, really, it really doesn't matter if you try really hard if you're not really good at it, okay? <laughs> because how many of y'all have been to an interview and they said, hey, you did a great job in that interview. You tried hard. I didn't really like what you said, but we're going to give you the job because you tried really hard. We could see it. It does not work, does it? When we get the idea that we're special, that we're unique, that the world owes us something, that we're entitled to it, we're going to constantly live in a state of disappointment. And unfulfilled expectations is definitely a baggage. The second thing is untreated pain. I think I told you all that story a few weeks ago where I happened to pass gas before my dad's friend came over to our house. And he told me that I should not have told him that, right? 
as a small child because kids have no filter, right? And so he told me that I, that's the kind of thing that you put in your back pocket and you sit down on that so it doesn't get out, right? That's the way he, he put it. And, and that is an exemplary statement for the way that we live in the South, I think that untreated pain is a huge problem in our culture simply because the Southern ethic forces us and asks us to put that away. Let's tuck that away. I know that that hurt you and it was offensive, but let's tuck that away. Let's not deal with this problem that you're dealing with. There was something that was very traumatic that happened, but let's tuck that away and not deal with that. Would you look at this verse? It is a chilling verse out of the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is prophesying about what Israel would become in the way that it would treat the people that was wounded within itself. In Jeremiah 6.14, the prophet says this, they dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They dress the wounds of my people as if it wasn't serious. And there's things that have happened to us, and I know some of your stories, and you've been remarkably vulnerable with me and shared some things that have happened to you, and they are serious. And because of the way that your family dealt with it or the people around you, you at that moment in time were not given the freedom to deal with that pain. But the truth about pain is that when it's left untreated, pain will eventually increase, not decrease. And some of you say that's not true. That's not true because there's, there's that thing, and it's not as big a deal right now. You know what? It is as big a deal. You've just learned how to live with it. It is. It's still a seven or eight, whatever it was, but you've just grown used to that pain. The third thing, is unresolved yesterdays. Unresolved yesterdays. Let me give you a truth about baggage. We don't have baggage simply because stuff happens to us. We don't have baggage simply because stuff happens happens to us. We have baggage because we haven't dealt with that stuff. Look at this verse out of Ephesians 4, 26, 27. This is one of those awesome Lifeway plaque verses. <laughs> All right, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, what's 
powerful to me about that verse is that verse embraces our humanity. It knows we're going to get mad. Right? No, when you get mad, all right, you're going to get mad. It's going to happen. Y'all going to get mad at somebody. Somebody's going to do something you didn't want them to do. Maybe they're going to do something that offends you. We're all going to get angry. All right? The verse assumes that. But it says, put a time limit on the way that you deal with that. Don't let the sun go down without dealing with that thing that has offended you. Over the years, I've learned that people are going to do some crazy things. Everybody. And from time to time, anybody that we're in intimate relationship with, from time to time, they're going to do something that often unintentionally hurts us. The Bible's directive is that we clearly and quickly deal with that offense. Now let me give you some pastoral advice. Most of y'all have been around for a few months. You've got to know me a little bit. There's going to come a day that I'm going to say something that offends you. It's going to happen. All right. It's going to happen because, one, truth offends at times. Right? Truth offends. God's Word at times needs to offend us. And I'm not scared of saying stuff that is true by God that would offend somebody. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that at all. But it might also happen because... I'm a goober, all right? Sometimes, sometimes I just try to crack a joke about something that somebody cares about, all right? Sometimes I'm, it's going to happen. I have a good friend, and he told me this when we were just kind of starting our relationship. He said, this is going to happen. It, the first time I do something that really offends you, just overlook it, please. Second time, just talk to me. It is so easy in the context of the church. This is one of those things that is so easy to let happen. Where we're a part of something that is very meaningful and helpful to us and there's a little offense and we don't address it, but it starts to fester and grow. And all of a sudden, what should have been a little conversation and a small apology becomes a big problem because it was left untreated. You see, just like pain that is left untreated will not decrease the further that you get away from a hurt, the further that you get away from a hurt, the more difficult it is to resolve that problem. That's why God's directive in Ephesians is that we deal with it right now. The fourth thing is the unhealthy view of self. And 
unhealthy view of self. And for many of us in this room, as I was talking with my wife, uh, I don't want to get too emotional as I talk about this. This is the area that my wife said, this is me, this is me, this is me. Most of us have either a too low opinion of ourselves or a too high opinion of ourselves. And it's it's true that the world in our world today works very hard to point out everything that everyone does wrong. It's it's really, really absolutely absurd that I've, I think I've published now about, you know, several hundred blogs or whatever, and, and I'll publish a blog, and there will be one person that will want to email me and tell me a grammatical mistake that I made in the blog. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. Thanks for focusing on that, right? <laughs> thanks, thanks for reading that. That was awesome. Thank you very much. And I understand most of the time they just are trying to help, but, but that's the way that, think about what news is. What makes news, right? People, when their lives blow up, that's news. Really? Really? And for many of us, our failures have been examined far more than our successes have been, right? And our friends around us, our family, have pointed to those moments and in our minds have used those to define our self-worth. We live in a world that has an epidemic of low self-esteem that's masked with this pompous arrogance that is not real confidence. I want you to look at this verse out of the book of Romans. This is out of the message translation. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us. Not by what we are and what we do for him. The only way to understand who I am is to understand who God is and who he says I am. You see, because that forces me to live in between those two polar opposites. I know that I'm valuable because God was willing to pay a price for me. But I also know that in many ways I'm inept because when I look at my life, I realize how much I desperately need him. And the fifth one, the fifth one, is unrepented sin. Now let's just be honest about that, okay? That does not say unconfessed sin. Doesn't say unclaimed sin. And decent 
It doesn't even say unforgiven sin. It says unconfessed sin. See, unrepented sin. See, many of us have grown up in a culture in church where confession was let me walk to the front and say that I'm really sorry for blowing it and then I can walk out and do it again. I can confess that, but then I become somebody who lives a life that is entirely different than what I'm confessing. Repentance is something that's more significant. The word literally in Scripture means to turn around, to be walking one way and to turn the other direction and to begin to walk that way. That there is a direction change involved in repentance. And when there's sin that's in our lives that is unrepented, it is going to become baggage. Would you look at this out of Psalm 32? When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You see, when we remain silent in our sin, when we remain unrepentant in our sin, we are going to invite death to be a part of our journey. Just like the psalmist says, it is like all of my strength and energy was sapped. So I want to take a moment and focus on what is really going to be the key verse for us as we go through this series. It comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And let's just go ahead and dive in and look at this. Verse 3 and 4. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see, this verse tells us that our problems, while they may be an earthly problem, it may be something that I'm dealing with with a friend. It may be something that I'm carrying on that happened financially a few years ago. It may be something that happened to me even as a child. While it may feel like it is an earthly problem, this verse lets us know that it is not. It is a spiritual problem. And it calls our baggage a stronghold because many of us have a stronghold on that baggage that we're carrying, that we've refused to check The word in the Greek that is used, there's the word aruchima. It actually looks like huchimama when it's spelled, which is a little, I think it's kind of funny. Um, but aruchima, 
stronghold, Aruchima. The word literally means to describe a, a, a prisoner that is locked into a cage, simply held there by deception. Now, some of y'all do that to your dogs. I ain't going to say any names, all right? But y'all have those little kennels that you put your dog into it, and your dog is just going there. You won't even shut the door on him. He's just sitting in there, thinks he's trapped in that kennel, door enclosed. He ain't going to come out till you come over and let him out. Right? That's what this word is describing. It is describing someone who is locked into a situation, someone who has become imprisoned by something that is not true. Here's something, if you're taking notes, I would write this down. Baggage is not based on reality. It's always based on a lie. Baggage is not based on the reality. Baggage is always based on a lie. So let's continue verse 5 out of 1 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is in your notes and this is absolutely pivotal. If the problem is a lie, the answer is the truth. If the problem is a lie, the answer is the truth. You see, our baggage is completely built on a lie. And if we're going to deal with the baggage that exists in our life, we're going to deal with it by addressing the truth that is being lived out and accepted in our hearts and in our lives. So today, to get started, we're going to deal with three foundational truths. Some of these thoroughly break my heart as we walk through them because people have not let this truth permeate the way that they deal with God in the world. You see, it is about how we interact with truth when we deal with our baggage. Here's a few verses that I would show you just to kind of let you know that the way that we let ourselves think, what is happening in our minds, the way that we deal with truth matters. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. From Ephesians 4, 23, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new, how? In the attitude of your mind. John 8, 32. This is one of those verses that if I were you and I was struggling with accepting some of this truth and letting it just become a part of my heart, if this was, I would write this verse down and memorize this thing. John 
8.32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, in baggage, we have a truth problem. And to deal with the lie, we have to embrace the truth. So three truths to start. In your notes, the first one is God still loves me. God still loves me. And when we start to look at some of the baggage that some of us are carrying, It's amazing to me. Everyone, when you hear this, I know that the immediate reaction is, doesn't everybody believe that? No. No, they don't. Especially when we start to address the baggage that's in our lives and to look back at the stuff that we're carrying. It is remarkable how time after time after time I have sat down with grown men and grown women who have loved Jesus for a long time, but they struggle with the fact that God loves them in spite of something that's happened in their lives. And I don't care. I don't care if it happened to you, if it happened through you. I don't care what it was. Whatever you think in the back of your mind, God can't love me because that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. I want to look at a verse that we all know. But I want to look at it out of Eugene Peterson's message. And let's just revisit this verse with new eyes. John 3.16 This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. And by believing Him, believing in Him, Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. You see, God gave his son for you. He put a price tag on you, on me, that said it was going to cost something and it was going to cost his son. And so to purchase you back, he gave his son to die so that he could have a relationship with you. God still loves you. The second thing is that God 
can free me. God can free me. You see, most of us are carrying some pretty heavy baggage. And I don't know if y'all were in the band when you were in middle school. Middle school kids are in the band are so stinking awkward. Um, so I was in the band, and, and I can remember the bus would drop us off at the end of the street, and then I'd have to walk to my house. And it was probably for a sixth, seventh grader, it felt like a mile, probably about like like 10 feet, right? But um, I, play, I played saxophone in the band. I couldn't play saxophone now if you gave me one, but I played saxophone in the band, and I, that thing was heavy, y'all. I mean, that was a, that was, and kids' backpacks today, I don't know how in the world they carry those things, but that, that daggum saxophone was heavy. And by the time I got to the house, I was walking like this. Y'all know what I'm saying? It's way bent over, compensating for the heavy baggage that I was carrying. And unfortunately for many of us in life, that's exactly where we are today. On the outside, everything probably looks normal. Maybe people don't even know that that's there. Maybe even the people that love you the most don't know it's there. Because we've learned to compensate for it. Maybe somebody's hurt you in the past and now you're a little less trusting because you don't want to get hurt again. Maybe somebody offended you and so you don't get close to people that way anymore. We learn to compensate, and, and in our hearts we think there's nothing really wrong. You can't really tell, but yes, you can. And yes, there is something wrong. Look at this, Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. A new power is in operation. The spirit of the life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death, that God can still free you. Sin and death have no power in God's eyes. When Jesus decides to do something, he can do it. And for some of us, we have carried this baggage for so long that it feels like this is just a part of the way I am. And it's not. God can free you. The third thing is that God will restore me. The picture of redemption in Jesus is not that God picks us up, dusts us off, and tells us to keep going. He doesn't do what our first grade teachers did and tell us that it's all good, just keep trying hard. He absolutely recreates us. He doesn't leave us alone. And God can, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, restore you. Would you look at this out of Psalm 71? 
Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. See, it doesn't matter where you are. God can free you. God can restore you. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, it's our desire today to embrace the truth that you have so generously given us. God, as we take a few moments right now and just pause, there's many of us in this room that struggle with just that first thing today, that you love us. And we feel because of something we've done or because something that's been done to us that we're disqualified from experiencing the love that you have for us. But God, would you free us to embrace the truth that you love us? For some of us, we've been compensating for the baggage that's in our lives so long that we have yet to even accept the fact that you could free us from that baggage. Some of us, we can't even imagine a life without it. But God, could you today, through your power, convince us that you can indeed come and free us? And some of us have lost so much at the hands of sin, at the hands of failure, some at the hands of other people. But God, we want to look to you today as our restorer. We don't want to try to go out in an exact vengeance and try to make something happen. We just want to believe, God, that you can restore us. So with nobody looking around this morning, let me me just ask you a, a very simple question. You see, when we've got baggage, we really can't deal with it without Jesus dealing with it in our lives. It's His truth at work in our life. And outside of that relationship that He has offered to us, it's ultimately impossible to walk in the freedom that He wants to give so today, if there's somebody in the room and you, you say, you know what, as you were talking about that with God loving me and, and, and wanting to free me, you know, I, I've struggled with that, but I want to believe that because I've never, I've never even taken that step in my life. I've never said, God, I realize you love me. I want to follow you. If that's you today and you're here, 
and you want to get past the baggage that you've been dealing with, would you raise your hand right now? Nobody looking, nobody moving. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there somebody that would say, you know, we talked about those three things that God loves us, that he can free us and that he will restore me, that I've been really struggling with one of those, two of those, maybe all three of those, but I want to embrace and let that truth become a part of the way that I live. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you guys. God, today as we, some of us make a decision to say we want to follow you. We, we've really never embraced the fact that you love us and that you care for us and that you have a divine and perfect plan for our lives. Some of us, God, today just realize that you love us and We've been struggling with that and we want to accept that and let that become a reality in the way that we navigate life. So free us, Jesus. Free us to be a people who walk out of baggage, that drop our bags and walk away from them, that we deal with problems as to not create even more baggage so that we can live free in a way that reflects you on this earth and gives hope and freedom to people that are around us. It's in your name and in your power that we pray. Amen.